Thanks be to God. I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue to hear from God's Word. It's very nice to be back with you again. I've enjoyed listening into chapel each day, and I'm glad to be uh, standing before you and, and serving in this way. <clears throat> Please uh, pray with me as we continue to listen to God's Word uh, from 1, 1 Peter chapter 2. Our Father, would you continue to open our hearts to your Word? Uh, as we've already seen, we, we don't want our hearts to be hard, Lord. We want us to be changed and transformed in the likeness of your Son. And so we're praying that your Spirit would work in and in and through your word now uh, to bring us up into Christ, that we might grow up in, into the fullness of him and that we might live responsibly in the world uh, that you've so graciously kept in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 13 down to verse 17 today. <clears throat> and this is what Peter writes. Be subject to, for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. No doubt you've read in the news uh, that uh, we have tensions in the world between Christians and states all over. That is, people are asking, does the government have the right to tell us that we cannot meet together as God's people? Now, that question, taken in a vacuum, would require the answer, no, the government doesn't have the right to tell us that. But we're not in a vacuum right now. We're actually in a very particular context, a time of pandemic. And so in a time like this, the real question is, does the government have the right to restrict us from meeting as God's people in the face of a pandemic? And the answer, I think, is yes, it does. It does. But this passage, I think, today helps us to recognize that good authority that God has given to the government. But it also helps us beyond just this immediate circumstance that we're in right now. It's going to be helping us think about what it means to live as responsible citizens all of our lives as individuals, but also as ministers of the gospel, leading God's people and helping them to understand the goodness of these gifts, like the state officials that we have, for common good in society. Just to get your, your, your thinking going a little bit more, I mean, what do you do about tax laws? How should you engage with the local council? Should your people be encouraged to vote or should they be apathetic about the political process? What we're going to see today in this passage is that God has given us secular rulers over common society for the good of humanity. As such, we are called to exercise our freedom in Christ to submit ourselves to secular authority structures. And so in just a few minutes that I have with you, I want to consider this text saying three different things. <clears throat> the first thing is this. We are commanded to submit ourselves to every human institution. So submit to a common government. This may have been a shock, of course, for Peter's readers. 
they, they would have been undoubtedly facing tensions from the local governor or the authorities around them, both from regional and imperial rule. They were feeling pressure as they were living as Christians. But Peter tries to tell them a, a bit of perspective. Rulers are good. In fact, don't kick up a stink against them. Don't, don't make it a bad thing about them. In fact, recognize that they are good and God has given them for our good, even when we feel pressure. In fact, uh, Peter says explicitly that every human institution here, every human institution, the emperor or governors as examples, are to be submitted to. Why? Because these rulers have been sent by God. And they've been sent to uphold justice. Verse 14 tells us this, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. What is it about um, family games, I guess, that brings out something about us? Uh, somebody always wants to cheat, don't they? Now, my wife is notorious for this, and I'm saying this hoping that she's listening upstairs somewhere else right now in another room. Uh, and I want this sermon to be a very public rebuke for her cheating in family games, right? Uh, I'm kidding, of course, but I want to use this actually as an example to make a point. There's something about playing a game or a sport in the absence of a referee that leads people to cheat. It leads them to take liberties. It leads them to act in ways that brings about chaos, actually, because an authority figure in a game or in a sport, for example, like a referee, provides structure. It helps keep structure. It keeps the game moving the way that it's meant to. It upholds the rules of the game. It calls penalties and it grants points for goals. This is much the same for us in society, in fact. This is what Peter's trying to drive home to us. When you have people cohabitating in a community, there needs to be rules for living together. And someone needs to be able to enforce those rules. And Peter identifies secular authority figures as those who uphold the basic notions of justice that God has given us in our world. Things that are actually common to all in society. I find this a real challenge for us in Australian culture, actually, because authority is not something that we like very much. Uh, I, I am, again, identifying myself here with Australian society and saying that I, too, have uh, grown uh, to dislike authority in my own ways, of course. But I wonder if those in, in authority over us are often targets because we just kick against something naturally. We, we don't like somebody to say something over us. Just for the sake of... Um, application and so that you're not too dismissive of this in your own context imagine you're american for a moment just like me all right just imagine for a moment what a great day that would be right um could you recognize the goodness of donald trump uh, the amount of times people ask me you know what do you think of trump uh, my favorite joke is to say oh what's wrong with him um, but what's wrong with Donald Trump, right? People are people always come to us about Donald Trump. Well, there's a lot wrong about Donald Trump, but could you respect him as a leader? It doesn't mean you have to like him. It doesn't mean you have to agree with him. But could you respect him as somebody that God has given as an authority figure for good? Could you submit yourself to him? Would you pray for him? Well, Peter is trying to help us see that even leaders like him are a gift to society. And this brings us to the second point. Peter encourages us to live as God's particular people in the world. Live as particular people. 
He tells us in verse 15 that it is God's will that we do good. In fact, this is the plan that God has for our lives amongst unbelievers. Our good living is meant to be indiscriminate. That is that we do good to all and for all. And in doing so, God intends for us to silence ignorance. We are actually supposed to silence the ignorant people, those that don't know God. We hush them. This doesn't necessarily mean that they will convert to following Jesus. I don't think that's exactly what he's saying here. But it does mean that they will glorify God on the day of visitation, as Peter has written above in verse 12. There is something about the way that we live as God has planned for us to do for good. He has planned that the world, uh, that we would not use our freedom in the world as Christians to cover up evil, to do evil deeds. And therefore, we are set free in Christ in order that we could live unto him as servants of him. And as servants, we live as witnesses to the world. So it's interesting to me the way that these verses 15 and 16 correlate with the purpose of secular authorities. I've just showed you that above, right? That God says the good things about uh, secular authority in verse 14 is that by him they punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. And now in verses 15 and 16, we are being encouraged to do good and not evil. So in fact, then, we are supposed to uphold doing good things by implication so that the emperor will praise us. And we're not supposed to do evil because by implication that would bring judgment upon us and we would be condemned. Now, here's why I believe that we are told this. In the world, we will not be favored by secular authorities. That is not something we're supposed to expect. In fact, there may be ways that we will be mistreated because we follow Jesus. But what Peter says is that if you're going to be mistreated, let it be because you identify with Jesus, not because you act like a fool. I, I just want to get that clear for a moment. If you're going to be mistreated by someone, do it because you've genuinely stood in Christ and they, they mistreat you because of that, not because you've been an idiot. In fact, we are supposed to silence the idiots. Those that would wish you harm, you're supposed to show them that you are people who above all desire the good of society around you and let this be a witness to them. Now, there's an age-old tension, of course, about whether or not mission should be uh, by what we do or what we say. Is it that we do deeds to show our faith in Christ, or is it that we preach the gospel? Well, of course, we all know that this is a, a false dichotomy and that these are not mutually exclusive things, are they? They're interdependent. But I want us to get even clearer on this tension as we look at this passage today. There are two ways that we aren't going to be effectively living for Christ in this world. One, we won't represent Christ if we totally disregard secular authority, living as if we are above the law. God himself has given these rulers and institutions for us. And so in dismissing them, we dismiss him. Instead, we need to be model citizens, demonstrating a sincere care for the society that's around us, and only then will we have a chance for effective witness. But second, we also must recognize that this call to good deeds is not tantamount to mission. So we need to recognize that there is a basic responsible citizenship that God calls us to because this is the way that he has ordered the world. 
And we are meant to see that God has provided for all of society in giving authority structures. So in order to be faithful in mission, we're going to have to be deliberate in proclaiming Jesus. And it'd be worth it once more for us to be challenged, I think, to think about the way that we have authority over us and the freedom that we have in Christ. It's very easy for us to rest on grace as a pass for living however we choose. So as we consider our context and the laws of the land, I want to ask you, where will you be in danger of cutting corners? Will you, for example, take more than is allowed through the tax benefits afforded to you as a minister? Will you say that you're owed more because of the nature of your work? In doing so, you will be acting as an authority unto yourself, and you will show the rulers that you're not actually thinking about the society around you, which are structured tax systems a certain way for the common good. How about the speed limit? Will you be compliant with posted speed signs even when you're on that country road that you know no one else is around on, especially no cops? This sort of action seems innocuous to us, but in fact, we face legal consequence that will put us out of favor with the government if we violate the law. I remember a, a really horrific discovery uh, on mission my first year that I had parked illegally right outside of the church for multiple hours. In other words, I had overstayed my welcome in a free parking spot, not noticing that it was a timed zone. And as I walked outside to go grab some lunch, I saw a ranger writing me a ticket on my car. And I walked up to him and initially he was very defensive, like, hey man, I'm just doing my job. I said, look, I just wanna tell you something. You're absolutely right to give me a fine. I am so sorry that I didn't pay attention to that sign. I just didn't see it. I'm here, I'm from out of town and you're absolutely right to give me a fine. It's just totally my mistake, but I, I totally respect that you're upholding the law. I mean, this was a shock to him. He was very kind to me afterwards. I think he's so used to people coming and saying, what gives you the right? Why would you do this to me? But actually there's a good order for us to have parking signs and we should actually uphold those kinds of rules for the good of all around us. Well, one final example perhaps is whether or not we should be compliant with government restrictions in days like these. I raised this a moment ago in the introduction. How dare they forbid us to gather as God's people, we might say. Well, the fact is that God has given us civil authorities for the common good, and their task is to uphold the best quality of life possible for civilians. They are supposed to protect the life and welfare of people in society. But we, of course, as Christians could put our foot down and just say, well, I am free. I'm free in Jesus. He is my ultimate authority. I'll meet no matter what they say. But in doing so, it would be very difficult for us to proclaim the gospel in that context. Because on the one hand, we'd be saying, we are doing this because we care about the society's spiritual health. All the while we are neglecting their physical health and saying we really don't care about it. This brings us to our final point. We need to act with proper perspective. Peter gives us four imperatives that call us to act with proper perspective. And these imperatives, I believe, form a chiasm. Now, I don't really like talking about technical things in sermons, but I think this chiastic structure is really important for, for making a point. Um, when you see in the, the four commands that come here, it's very strange that you encounter these four imperatives, and they perplexed commentators 
for ages about why they function this way, how they function, what, what are they doing together? I think they work like this. Number one and number four function together. And you can see this in the honor command. Honor everyone, number one. Number four, honor the emperor. As Christians, we are called to honor very broadly society around us. The common domain of the entire world. Now, if you remember from Psalm 145 that I preached a few weeks ago, I'm guessing you don't. I just want to say that there was a common domain that God is providing for, as well as a particular domain that God is engaging salvifically and giving special grace to. Common grace and special grace. And here he's calling us to recognize a common structure. Everyone around us and even all of the rulers that over, are over all of common society, there is an honor that we must show. And in doing so, we will silence ignorant people when we uphold honor to all people. Well, when we think about this, the, the emperor in our time is equivalent to the prime minister. And we need to honor him and his government over us. It doesn't mean that we need to agree with everything that they do or everything that they say or everything that they pass. And it doesn't mean that we should just be politically passive. But it does mean honoring them and their office. Now, I just want to say to you all, my Australian brothers and sisters, recognize though we love upholding equality in our society and we just love our egalitarianism here in this country and, and bless it in so many ways. It's very appropriate and even godly for us to recognize office, office in society office in the church. This is a good thing that we have structures, positions that are held that we honor and respect. Notice also, though, that while the first and the fourth commands are common, the second and the third are particular, belonging to much more intimate and ultimate relationships. We are to love the brotherhood, that is, love the family of God's people. Love is appropriate for family. It's purposefully distinct from the common honor. But also notice that we are to fear God. That is, even though we honor the emperor, we reverence God. We hold him in ultimate esteem. He is the one who rules over all, so he has the ultimate respect, even over the emperor. In fact, this is the frame for the whole passage. Because God is supreme, we submit ourselves to all authority. Because God is good, he has graciously given us these common gifts for our flourishing as a society. But as we think about the challenges that will undoubtedly come to us in this life, especially in the tensions that we will face living in and, and with the world, we remember Christ. When he lived, he maintained right perspective. He entrusted himself to God and even submitted to worldly authorities all the way to the cross. He did this knowing who was ultimate. And in fact, we have confidence that even while we sojourn now with temporal trials under penultimate worldly powers, we serve an eternal God who has placed every power under the feet of King Jesus, the supreme ruler. For now, we recognize God's common provision in society, even while we wait in hope for his particular salvation. And as we wait, we may honor the Lord in our lives so that at the coming of Christ, even the ignorant will have seen our good deeds and give glory to God. So I encourage you, submit yourselves to every human institution for the Lord's sake.
Father, please help us. Help us to recognize the good order you've given to us in this world. And let us appropriately honor rulers over us, even those that don't know you, even those that make life difficult at times, recognizing that there's a good function of bringing a general order to us in society. And may we, in our conduct, bring honor to the Lord Jesus. And as people witness, may it silence them uh, and their ignorance. And on the day that Jesus comes again, may they give glory to you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.